Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In some ways, we've, we've become adversarial. Yeah. I, I'm proud that there are pills that can help, yeah. but people hate pills. But if they become the drivers, they'll see that pills are, are this option for them. There are, uh, they are the, the pills are their partner if their own changes and their own modifications to their diet, their well-being, their thoughts, their lifestyle. If that's not enough, we can supplement a little bit. If you don't, if you change your diet and your cholesterol doesn't go down as much as you, we need it to, then we'll bring in pill at a lower dose. That way, they respect the, we, you know, people respect what docs do, medics do, and medics respect that people need to be treated as individuals who drive their own care. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast with me, Dr. Rupi, where we discuss the most important topics and concepts in the medicinal qualities of food and lifestyle. These are some of the things that I've written about in my latest book, Eat to Be Illness. And today I'm speaking to Dr. Rahul Jandio, an American dual-trained neurosurgeon and scientist at the City of Hope, a research center, hospital, and postgraduate training facility in Los Angeles. He's well known for his cutting-edge approach to brain surgery and neuroscience and has absolutely transformed the lives of his neurosurgical patients by putting them through his specially developed boot camp for restoring brain function. He's written an eye-opening, informative and accessible guide, Life Lessons from a Brain Surgeon, where he uses his years of experience to show how healthy people can rewire their brains to work in a higher gear. And this is what we'll be chatting about on today's show. And when I first thought I'd be getting Dr. Rahul on the show. I thought it was going to be quite a technical show, talking a lot about the intricacies of the human brain and how we can, you know, do hacks and, and tips and tricks and that kind of stuff. What, but what this podcast really was about, and I think it's so special, is just how humble Dr. Rahul is. His his learnings from his practice how connected he is to his family and genuinely his experience uh, in London. He, he's thought of this process of writing a book and being asked to come to London and speak at events as just such a wonderful opportunity and it really does come across. He has plenty of anecdotes in this podcast but plenty more in the book and I absolutely love his writing style. Blending smart brain hacks with case studies and storytelling from his own experience is something that he is truly a master at and I highly recommend 
you pick up a copy life lessons from a brain surgeon i really hope you enjoy listening to this episode the recipe will be on the doctorskitchen.com and you can see the video recipe on youtube as well the doctorskitchen.com there is a lot of evidence-based safe dietary lifestyle change that we as practitioners can be confidently discussing with our patients and this is something that dr rahul truly resonates with and it's just so humbling to be able to speak to a super specialist someone who does brain surgery for brain cancers for a living it's someone who just gets it and and i i I really hope you listen to the end i'm going to summarize what we sort of talked about in terms of brain hacks and stuff but this is more about his journey of maturing into a medical student into someone who wants to specialize in his experiences along the way i truly hope you enjoy this as much as i love making it on to the podcast I'm going to be cooking for you uh, a mushroom, a wild mushroom tarragon uh, fricasse. It's going to have um, some walnuts, some broad mm. beans, a little bit of tomatoes, some sort of traditional uh, flavors of shallot, uh, banana shallot, and some garlic and courgettes. Sound right? That sounds great. Good. <laughs> We're just going to put this in a little bit of butter and some extra virgin olive oil. Um, very low sort of uh, heat cooking, so we're not burning that extra virgin olive oil, which we know has got good brain health mm-hmm. uh, um, benefits. Um, and the, the sort of overriding flavor is going to be the wild mushroom, mm-hmm. uh, but it's going to be kind of mellowed with the, um, the tarragon, hopefully. So, yeah. Let's enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> so, you're in London for 10 days. How's your, how's your um, journey been so far? It's been fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about that on the way in. Yeah. People keep asking me, are you breaking the jet lag and how's it going with that and your yeah. techniques for breaking jet lag? And my answer is we're not breaking jet lag at all. We're, yeah, going, yeah. <laughs> we're going hard day and night. So yeah. I'm here with my son. Yeah. You met him. He's Kai, 14. Yeah. yeah. And it's quite a maturation experience for him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the journey and the places we're going to are not accessible to just people who are here for tourism. So yeah. I feel honored and and humbled by by the perspective and view I'm getting of Londoners, and yeah. uh, it's been fantastic. So we did some uh, additional stuff. We went to Stonehenge, as I told you. We did yeah. a bike ride for a couple hours. We went to Tate Britain to see Van Gogh. Yeah. And uh, and all the stuff related to the book as well, and a different restaurant every night. We went to a, I think it was a tandoor kebab. It was like a tapas tandoor thing. It was okay, excellent. Yeah. Whereabouts was it? Was it East um, London? Or? It was close to where we're staying by Trafalgar Square. Okay. I don't know how to yeah. say that just right, but it's... Oh, you there. said it perfectly. Uh, that's perfect, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then one night we went to an Italian restaurant. Last night we went to Banconi. Uh-huh. That was phenomenal. Yeah, uh, yeah. At a recommendation. And so we're... Um, we're going for it, you know. We're yeah. sa- we're saving this uh, this week. Yeah, oh, that's great. And you're going up to Edinburgh as well tomorrow, right? Tomorrow, train to Edinburgh. I want to see wherever I go with them. We do city. Yeah. I travel with all my boys and my wife. Yeah. Uh, but I travel with each of my boys once a year to a far off place alone. Uh-huh. The communication is different when it's just me and one boy. Yeah. You get all of them together. It's wild. It's great too. Yeah. yeah. But one at a time, and. Uh, I like to see the city, so we get a pulse of the energy, and just the, I can see how they're navigating a busy space. Yeah, yeah. And then I like to see the land right outside of the city because sometimes cities start to blur. You know, they've got similar restaurants and similar subways. Absolutely, yeah. I think Mexico City might have the same design for the tube as you guys are. 
Oh, I didn't borrow, know that. Yeah, something like that is borrowed down there. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> I'm not 100% sure, but you start to see these overlapping similarities. And so I like to get out a few hours to, what do the trees look like? What does yeah. the land look like? Yeah. What do the people look like outside the city? So that's where we're, so tomorrow's Edinburgh. I've done the same actually with LA. So I've got uh, a few of my friends that live there and we, we go over hikes just out the side of the city. Mm-hmm. And it just gives you a real sense of, mm-hmm. of how real people live in, in that part of the world, mm-hmm. right? Because otherwise you just see like you said, the sort of same museum and, and tube network and, and uh, restaurant scene. Mm, um, heavy on the garlic and onions. Yeah, I'm all, yeah. I'm so, all for that. <laughs> yeah, so I've just uh, chopped up the that. shallot and um, the garlic and it's going in. So we're getting that the proper French sort of style flavors here. And uh, I'm not scared of using like a little bit of butter, uh-huh. um, even though, yes, it has saturated fats and stuff, but, you know, in moderation, these quantities. Yeah, it's right. not the indulgences, it's the habits. That's an interesting thing, you know, these, in LA, people go on a diet and they say, if, you know, they've stayed on the diet for 24 days and then they have a burger, they think it undoes it the value of those 24 days. It doesn't. Yeah, the indulgences yeah. never hurt the body. Yeah. Um, it's the habits that get us. Absolutely. And so how would, how would you describe you growing up and eating food? Like, what was your connection with it? Was it something that was important or was it something that you've only recently got into? You know, I, um, I don't remember food being remarkable when I was young. I don't remember music being remarkable when I was young, even though those are things I love now. I think as a teenager in Los Angeles, in the 1980s and 90s, it was such a toxic environment that I almost feel like it was living under just this constant threat. So the the things I enjoy now, either I wasn't exposed to them or I didn't cultivate them. So I don't remember much of food. I do remember the first time thinking about food was in the university right. when they had the cafeterias. Yeah, yeah. And so then they had all kinds of different food. I think like meatloaf and yeah. pasta. And that was the first time I noticed there were different cheeses. Yeah. And, and um, I met my wife, my, my wife now. Uh, back then, I, when I met her, she was the first person to take me to sushi. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and now I'm, I'm just I'm not a sushi snob, but yeah. I am a sushi connoisseur. I, yeah. I'll eat California roll. It's like French fries. Yeah. I like it. It's, I'll take it any time. But I've also indulged and gone to, you know, Masa in uh, uh, in New York City, which is a Michelin three. I don't get into the ratings. And if there is something, I like San Pellegrino's uh, yeah, ratings yeah. more and more young and creative. Yeah, yeah. Their top 50, whatever it uh-huh. is. But I went with my teenage son and it was pricey. We indulged. We, we, we cut the money for the hotel budget. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. raised the and money. And raised it for everything else. And it was yeah. $700 each really? omakase. Wow. I was, was, it, and was it $700 worth, worth it? It was. Oh, fine. That, that's it the was. most important thing, yeah. right? So. We, made, we made a couple of jokes. Yeah. He was 16 then. Yeah. Uh, not, my son Kai is here now. Zane went with me to New York. Uh-huh. We made a couple of jokes looking at each other and we went, last week. Yeah. Meaning, like, if yeah, we yeah, were, yeah. it's kind of a macabre thing to bring yeah, up. Yeah, totally, yeah, totally. Last meal. And we ex- we've extended that to uh, what would be your last bite? Uh-huh. You know, the last uh-huh. flavor yeah. Yeah. you want to enjoy in, in some sort of strange hypothetical situation. Yeah, yeah. For me, I don't know what it is for you, but for me, it would be uni. 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 What, remind me what uni is? It's sea urchin. Oh, wow. Sea urchin. Okay. With seaweed paper, just to soften it with a little salt. I that don't is think my. I've even eaten that. Yeah, it's wow. It's a little bit like um, I don't know how to explain it. I think 
It's got the smokiness of a good scotch. Uh -huh. The texture of uh, pate almost. Okay. Yeah. With a t with a bit of like. Um, it's got you know it's briny, uh -huh. in, in, enjoyable briny. Yeah. It's not fishy. You know, yeah. It's the, it's the. I think it's the not what people typically would assume would be like you know raw fish or you yeah. Know, those, yeah. Those and there, but there is a hint of ocean to it. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. It's something you desire. Uh -huh. the, the Japanese have something about that. So, sea urchin is. Uh, and so when you come to LA, and if we ever hook up, yeah, north of LA to Santa Barbara, 100 kilometers, they actually have great sea urchin in the Santa Barbara pier. Amazing. It's, you just go to the pier and get. It doesn't have to be a an exclusive yeah, access yeah. thing but so it's been fun bringing food in with the with the kids and yeah. you know what i noticed was so then jump forward i've got teenage kids uh, i do want them to be as robust as they can be uh -huh. psychologically and physically and then so we started telling them don't eat junk food don't eat that don't it but we didn't give them an alternative yeah and mm -hmm. so you know with kids it's like all right, you took all the good stuff out yeah, of the closet, out. Like yeah, pantry, yeah, yeah. but there's nothing left. Yeah. So now I would say in the last, um, uh, I prepared my first meal for Mother's Day uh, uh, this year for my mom. You prepared your first meal for like oh. company. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, 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 yeah. For uh, it was just my, you know, my uh, my brother and my mom and uh -huh. and. Uh, it's just a gesture to her. Last year, my father, her husband, passed away. So mm -hmm. it was sort of like, you know, you, you, we're going to pay a lot of attention to you, Mom. Yeah, I love you. yeah, yeah, definitely. And what I found that I'm good at is, um, is baking fish. Baking fish, okay. I can bake a killer salmon. Yeah, yeah. In, in like baking paper, is that how you do it? Or like I do it in foil, in foil and, I, oh, okay, and in the yeah. toaster oven. It's yeah. a strange thing. Yeah. I feel like I can predict, I guess that's the surgical thing in me. I, I need... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can control the temperature and predict the timing better than the big oven. Right, right, yeah. Sometimes it says it's 350, but I, it, I don't know, it doesn't feel like it, and I don't want to put the extra thermometer in there. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so I do this, um, um, and what I realized was if you get uh, reasonable fish and meat, and mm -hmm. I, I tend not to eat a lot of meat, but it's that's a different topic we'll get into. Mm -hmm. I think it's, mm -hmm. again, being a cancer surgeon, I'm trying to, mm -hmm. I'm trying to lean away from eating flesh something about it is there's some cognitive dissonance i'm going through about operating on patients and yeah. eating flesh something's not vibing with me as i'm yeah. getting older but for my family um i put the f you get the salmon mm -hmm. you put it on a long sheet of uh, aluminum foil mm -hmm. it's olive oil and whatever spice you want on top there's yeah. like a salmon seasoning powder and just close it like a little envelope yeah and it's 30 minutes at 350. all right okay it's yeah it's like it's perfect every yeah time. we've been chatting for food yeah. <laughs> the whole time but you're okay. you're here promoting your incredible book life lessons by a brain surgeon from a brain surgeon um how's it all going it's i mean it's it's already become a bestseller in the uk in a couple of weeks i i, I you know the funny thing is i have i'm not a I try not to look at that. Even my own social media, my Instagram, yeah. I have somebody, I give the material to them yeah. and say, over the next month, here's some cool images and some interesting thoughts. Yeah, yeah. And I like to walk away from it. Yeah. I, for me, the constant connection with, with uh, social media rankings, because I'm sort of a, I'm a competitive person. Uh -huh. I, 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 I'm sensitive. You have sensitive. to be your brain sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> you want me to be competitive, yeah, not yeah, casual. Exactly. But yeah, yeah. So for me, creatively, it helps to look at things once a week uh-huh like that's sunday let's see how the week went so i haven't looked at it but uh -huh. it has been um 
It has been a delight mm-hmm. because the publisher, Venetia and her team at uh, Penguin, yeah, they suggested the title. Oh, right, okay. They, it's, it's my heart and soul over the last 15 years of collecting stories yeah. and waiting till I was uh, mature enough in the field, I had mm-hmm. enough gravitas to, <laughs> otherwise it's like, who, who is this guy telling yeah. us about our brains? Yeah, yeah. How yeah. dare he speak about something so complex and personal? Because you said that at the, start, at the start of the book, you've been waiting to waiting write, this, to write book this book for, for years. In the States, yeah. we get a lot of quick experts. Okay, yeah. Self-declared experts. Mm-hmm. They get some promotion, and yeah. then you look at the track record, and it's lacking. I didn't yeah. want to fall into that. Yeah, yeah. And so what she did, and what they did, is they put the word stories mm-hmm. in the subtitle, and mm-hmm. I really, really am indebted to them for that. Yeah. Every chapter starts with three or four pages of a standalone gripping story. Mm. And can I give you the one about food? Please do, please do, yeah. Because that's the one where you go to Ukraine, right? Yeah, Yeah, it's it's a phenomenal story. And it's it's decades established. Yeah. uh, Yet it's considered new. Yeah, yeah. So that's our job, right? Like all the, uh, we're the, how did medicine and surgery become the worst communicators in the world? Yeah, yeah, We're sitting on this giant body of knowledge. We just can't explain it to Mm. people. We Mm. haven't shared it with people. Mm. But, um, you know, the brain is an electrical entity. It's flesh that sparks. I like to think of it as 80 billion tiny jellyfish mm. inside an aquarium. And, um, and sometimes that electricity is aberrant, just like you can have a heart arrhythmia. And people get that. Like, mm. my heartbeat is off. Yeah. Well, your brain beat, your brain electricity can be off. And yeah. it's called uh, having a seizure. And mm. if you have more than one, it's called epilepsy. And if you can't afford medicine as kids or the medicines that they have are not working, they, uh, I was on a floor in, in Ukraine, and uh, the moms were in the bed with the kids, and they had little frying pans in the corner, and just yeah. cooking only fat. Yeah. And we have known for a long time an all-fat diet mm. can be used to treat epilepsy. And I said, there is the premise yeah. that I can start from to say, what, what, what can Rahul say yeah. about food? Yeah. And food can heal that was yes the it's 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 in all the journals you might think it's wild now mm. just go on and look that up yeah all fat diet for uh for intractable epilepsy mm. and then when i was reading that i saw this quote by hippocrates and i said this is it and it was let food be thy medicine mm. and so how did we get from that to the way we eat and live now in, yeah. the, in, in the states and here it's just and then i would say on the flip side mm. Food can be thy poison. Exactly. Yeah. And so from there, I built this chapter that went into the mind diet and yeah, intermittent yeah. fasting. But that's uh, you know you should ask why why can Rahul talk about food? He, yeah. He doesn't cook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I, I'd love for you to try this. So this is yeah. the uh, wild mushroom fricassee uh, with tarragon. You can give us your honest opinion yeah. as well, because <laughs> no, I, I mean that's my flaw. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but. Tell me some of the components because I'm not familiar with them. I know sure, a few sure. items like sushi and grilling, but yeah, yeah. otherwise I'm quite <laughs> ignorant about So we uh, have got broad beans at the moment. This is a seasonal ingredient. Um, I think you guys call it fava beans. Oh, uh, yeah, fava um, beans. Yeah, now I get so it. these are just cooked um, or lightly steamed and then they're thrown in afterwards as well. So it's got a lot of fiber. It's a protein source as well. It's a very bland. It's sort of like a giant pea. 
Mm -hmm. um, but it's a very bland sort of ingredient. So that's why you've got to use punchy flavors like tarragon, nigella seeds, and a little bit of wild mushroom to really bring it out. I've also added some walnuts in there because we know it's got a good source of short chain omega-3 uh, fatty right. acids. Um, tarragon, all these different simple herbs that have phenomenal phytochemical properties that can reduce inflammation in the body may have some brain uh, health benefits as well. Um, just generally looking after your internal ecosystem is what I'm about because the body has Good this word. innate um, uh, um, amazing ability to look after itself. And that sounds a bit woo-woo, but actually if you put your body in the right environment. That, let me just jump in there. We use the word environment when we talk about the brain. Mm. The, the, so much so, there are words like synaptic pruning. Mm -hmm. That's like in a neuroscience yeah. Yeah. journal. Yeah. And that's, that's the right way to think of it. It's not as these like modular compartmentalized things. Mm -hmm. There is a ecosystem inside mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. and, and to take it into a different direction, into a disease direction, because I learned from that. Mm -hmm. If you have breast cancer, there's a different environment and the cancer is growing in a certain way and looking for certain nutrients and fuel sources. When it swims to other parts of the body, like to the brain, which is my, what I, my specialty is, it, 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 it morphs and drinks different kind of juices yeah. in a new environment. Yeah. We speak of the micro environment inside the brain. And so your, your suggestion or your, that you posit that our body is an environment mm. and it can be healed and brought to a better homeostasis, mm. if you were. These are the kind of words we need to bring out to the public so it's not, eat one blueberry and it's yeah. brain food. Yeah, exactly. Change this one thing yeah. and you will be skinny and gorgeous and healthy, you yeah. know? And that's exactly where we need better, more impeccable language. Mm. And so environment is exactly that. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Um, I love the mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> the walnuts for me are a little bitter, but okay. they, yeah. that's why people do the, um, um, but they're so good for you. Yeah, yeah. What I do with the kids is I sprinkle a few M and M's. M and M's into it. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, they're a little bit mm. more bitter because I've toasted them slightly just mm. to bring out some of these essential oils. But a good because um, uh, it was it was either going to be walnuts, but if you prefer like a slightly softer nut, pine nuts work brilliantly. Mm. Yeah, they're wonderful. So I like it. Good. I'm glad. I like it. <laughs> no, I do, and I love the mushrooms in there. It gives it that fleshy flavor without, yeah. without flesh. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be plant-focused, tons of fiber, you know, quality fats, not getting rid of all fats. Fats are super important. Um, and um, a, a ton of different colors. And once you hit those sort of markers, you're looking at a diet that can improve, yes, your brain, but also your skin, immunity your um, mental health simultaneously. And it's like we were talking, you know, that internal environment, um, you know, how the body has this innate mechanism to sort of look after itself. And homeostasis is a concept that just fascinates me. Um, yeah. You know, it's something that um, we have lost the balance of. And I think once we push people towards that state, then it's, yeah, things just seem to click into place. Yeah, and if diseases could be treated without medicines, you know, that would be a huge advancement yeah. for us. It's almost like medicine was made and it helped. I mean, of course, it, I give these talks for City of Hope about um, inventing medicine, right? Because mm -hmm. people, what do you, you do research? I don't know what that means. Do you study where cholera spreads? Yeah. Do you study uh, car accident research? No, we invent medicine. Yeah. We manipulate cancer cells and squirt things that kill them and then 
try to bring them to patients in that process. And so medicine is important before we get to, we have too much of it. Yeah. Um, early 1900s, the top three killers were infection, 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 mm. you know, and then there was penicillin. Yeah. Changed a lot of things mm. for the better. There's no question that is, that's a medicine you want to keep around. Yeah, yeah. People say, I don't like to take pills. No, you, you want that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You don't want yeah, to die from yeah. an ingrown toenail. Yeah, yeah. As people used to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then there was um, a virus, you know, and then Salk vaccine. Mm. And in San Diego, where I got my PhD, there's a Salk center. And uh, he never got a patent for it. He just, he's like, I don't want the money with this. I just want it out there. Really? Yeah, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Wow. So the Salk vaccine, polio. Yeah. But there were pictures of children and people using crutches and these sort of things. I mean, yeah. That's a powerful thing. You know, that's yeah. a legacy. Um, and then I was at, how old was I then? I had dropped out of university for two years. I wanted to talk to you about this, yeah. actually, because this like, kind of interweaved into the book is um, your own experience of kind of losing the passion for what your undergraduate was in. And then you were... Uh, a security guard at cafeteria yeah. you ultimately met your wife yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is a good yeah it's good. the other day I, tried, I was at Stella McCartney I said my current wife and I said uh, I mean I mean my only wife and they tore me <laughs> they tore me up and my son was there and he would he just covered his eyes oh and he was my like God, is so dad funny. what is that dad is himself at that is actually still thinks he's in his yeah, kitchen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talking like he's in his kitchen. I have a friend actually that refers to her husband as her first husband. Like, <laughs> this is so my good. first husband. He's like, can you stop saying that? He's like, I'm I just like trying that. to keep you on your toes. <laughs> no, I like that. No, you, yeah, we, gotta, we have to choose to be married daily. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's funny. Um, I, never, I never liked studying. <clears throat> this is not some... My mom and dad will be... My, well, my dad... Um, uh, in the past, you know, and when you when you get older and you kids are around, they're like, "Listen, nobody hated studying more than your dad." Rule, he would tell my kids. <laughs> so don't it doesn't you don't have to love it to realize it's a path to somewhere, mm-hmm. and it's an opportunity that many don't have. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter. There was one perspective. Mm-hmm. They never pushed school a lot. They just said, get straight A's and we won't push school a lot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, we'll leave yeah, you alone if yeah, you get straight yeah, A's. Yeah. So I got straight A's. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't. I was the master in my school of getting just 90%. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I never tried to get... The, why get extra? Yeah, this yeah. gets me the little letter, right? Okay, yeah. fine. I'm going to go party. Yeah. So yeah. I, I had a wild youth. You know, we, I had some wild friends. And, uh, and it makes sense. My hormones were going. My frontal lobes were trying to figure out is you know what's what's inhibition and what's disinhibition we also know a lot of mental health issues spike at that time so there's something going on that's magical in your late teens and early 20s and when i got to college it it was just to get away from la frankly i went to a university i had never set eyes on really yeah Yeah. my brother went there i was like i'm it's northern california i'll just yeah i never looked at i just wanted to get out of la and i was young i was 17. um and I asked my mom, why, why am I 17 and a senior? Why am I the youngest kid in my class? He's like, well, we had an opportunity to get you to start school early. So we, put, we started you early because you were such a nuisance when you were a toddler. This, so when she, it's, she's, 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 a, she's an attractive, yeah. not older, but less young woman. Okay, and she's yeah. got a full head of hair. <laughs> and she'll just sit there just deadpan and say that in a room full of people. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah you yeah. were a headache as a toddler. So we, we got you started early. Mm. 
that's that's why that's why it lands so well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when I got there, I was young and I had never enjoyed. Mm. And San Francisco and Oakland and Berkeley, with their version of the tube, the I didn't have a car. Finally, it was yeah. great. Yeah. They had a metro. You know, they had a, it's called the BART. And uh, people were different up there. Northern California is very different than Southern California. It wasn't as adversarial. When men looked at each other, it wasn't like road rage or are we going to fight, you know. And um, I started to realize I needed some personal health and psychological development that this place was providing me. And once again, I wasn't studying and I was getting B's and C's. And so I thought, let me take some time. Worst case scenario, I come back and get all C's and I still get my diploma. I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not, I don't lack strategy. So I thought, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll finish this because I'm not doing anything yeah, yeah. and I'm still passing. Yeah. But maybe I'll take some time off and do something different. That time off, three things happened. Um, San Francisco General was in the middle of the AIDS epidemic and, okay. and that was the hub. They had books written about it, San Francisco General yeah. Hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Facebook guys put his name on there and I just, I don't know how I feel about <laughs> buying <laughs> sanctuaries, if yeah. you will. I'll yeah. just leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah. Putting your name on it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you get buying stadiums, all the stadiums in, in, in the States are now, you know, Petco Park. But, yeah. Yeah. But this uh, is very different though, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it's a sanctuary. People go yeah. there to die. You get your neon sign up there. I just, mm-hmm. that doesn't make mm-hmm. sense to me. Back then, and in my heart, it's still San Francisco General. Yeah. And I saw um, people, like, just, I was volunteering, and my, all I was doing was wiping blood off yeah. gurneys. But it was like, whoa, there's a lot going, there's more going on in here than is yeah. actually outside in San Francisco, yeah. and San Francisco's a wild place. Yeah. So it became this, like, aquarium, and I realized, I don't like studying, but I like studying people. And then at the same time, my mom uh, got breast cancer, so at that time, those things were considered... My mom got breast cancer, and at that time it was considered terminal, um, but it wasn't. Uh, she's around. We live together now. She's with me. My dad passed away last year, so she's living with me and my three sons and my wife, my first wife, my current wife, my only wife, <laughs> yeah. uh, only wife to be. And I dedicated the book to her yeah, in all no, seriousness, to the love of my yeah, life. Yeah. So in case she leaves me, yeah. the dedication still applies yeah yeah the yeah. love of my life that's how i would describe this relationship with this woman she did was she quite pivotal in terms of yeah. uh, you sticking with medicine yeah. or going to medicine she didn't want me to change that was an interesting thing too she it wasn't like calm down or be more motivated or it was just take take all that you are all the heat all, all the intensity all the craziness the wild whatever is just put it to good use you know, deliver it with purpose. It was such a, and the word I can say is, because in the States, it's all about, you know, calming down, finding Zen, all that. I get that. And I like that. It just didn't apply to me. I'm not diminishing other people's narrative, but that's not my narrative. My narrative was <laughs> be badass, yeah. just put it to good use. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't be destructive with it, but hold the energy and redirect it. So I call it sublimation, you yeah. know. So the confluence of those three things meant, uh, okay, let's, I'll try to get into medical school, because I never thought about law or account. I'm just, you know, I'm not that guy. Um, that was, it, it was going to be either that or become a police detective or a firefighter. It was not going to be, I'll go into law or I'll, yeah, uh, yeah, an accountant. Yeah, I'm not, again, not diminishing those yeah. professions. Mm. It's just not my narrative. Mm. And, uh, but my grades sucked, right, because I was getting all those C's. 
So then uh, the climb back was brutal. Yeah. Because at that time in the States, the dot-com bubble had burst and all the engineers were trying to pivot to medical school. Right, So the right. applications went up in a competitive landscape. Gotcha, yeah, yeah. So then next thing you know, I'm in Compton City College. This is the city from the Serena Williams sisters. Yeah. NWA and now Kendrick Lamar. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I found a professor there, an English professor. And uh, he said something to me. I know you, because he figured out, like, this guy, you know, you're going to be fine, you know. But he said, I know you'll do well, but I hope you do good. So I, I held on to that. Mm-hmm. And later on, I dedicated a textbook to him. Uh, I don't even know his first name was Mr. Jet. Uh-huh. He, so all of those things happened because I took the circuitous route, the tangential route, obliquity. I took some chances. I mean, I take health chances. I didn't take life yeah. chances. Mm-hmm. And so it... Um, it redirected me and then, you know, we had to get straight A's for a couple of years yeah. and I had borderline, you know, marks and got lucky on a standardized test and got into medical school. Uh-huh. And the first thing I did when I got into medical school, I took a year off. <laughs> right. I said, I'm exhausted. <laughs> it's time to party again yeah. and relax. <laughs> the partying with a medical school admission in your pocket, yeah, yeah. that's a good feeling. Yeah, yeah I can imagine. Yeah. Versus yeah. I'm partying, but I don't know where I'm going. Yeah. And then medical school happened and I thought I was going to be... You know, I didn't like medical school again, to be frank, because it was classroom work. Once I got to the next thing, you know, I'm in L.A. County General Hospital. Mm -hmm. 2,200 beds. Uh, A place where the gangs at that time had actually come in and shot and killed doctors. I mean, it was like, and and I was like, this is metal detectors to go in. Mm -hmm. And it was this whole ocean of life in there. And I fell in love. I fell in love with people. And I went into surgery because I thought I was going to be a... A heart surgeon then uh, I didn't actually go directly into neurosurgery it's a dis- different discipline over there you have to apply directly into yeah I didn't have the marks for it and I didn't have any exposure to it but when I was in general surgery in uh, San Diego just about 150 kilometers south of Los Angeles um, they had an opening in neurosurgery and they had seen me one month on their service if you will mm. um, and they said hey you know they, so they picked me up so it was, a, again, another random way yeah. to get into brain yeah, surgery, yeah. right? Yeah. Four years into brain surgery. Because you were into, you were doing cardiothoracics, right? Yeah. Before then. Yeah. And then, so yeah. you kind of pivoted because yeah. someone told you, you know, there was an opening and it's very fortuitous. That yeah. Time. And before I pivoted, I said, well, can I at least see what brain surgery looks like? I had never seen it. Because yeah. in medical school, if you're not going into it or coveting the position potentially, mm. you, you probably won't even drift through there. Mm. <laughs> Just something to see an open skull. Yeah. And it's not gray. Mm-hmm. It's not like cardboard. It's it's opalescent, like I, I wrote in the book. It's you like did, an yeah. oyster with mm-hmm. these serpentine vessels. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's something like. Some, I first thought I was like, I mean, is this possible? Because yeah. it's white. It's twenty percent of the blood flow, and it's white. Yeah. I, I don't know how to explain that. Yeah. yeah. It's 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 like, huh? I love that section actually because you have pullouts where you like you know busted neurobusted. Gray matter is not gray. Yeah. You know, it's this beautiful color, and then underneath the white matter is a pearly white. You describe yeah. this, yeah. And what how, how we fell into that uh, misperception is they kept showing the brain once people died, exactly. and they held it in their gloved hands. Well, it's not alive anymore, right? Somebody should have said, "Let's take some beautiful pictures in the operating room to show you." And it pulsates, mm-hmm. not like the heart, but it throbs, and it's it's floating in white. Uh, not white, excuse me, clear, odorless fluid, but they still have proteins and diseases in it. Clear fluid, shiny, pearly, opalescent material, undulating ridges. I, it was, uh, 
it's a sacred space. Um, so into neurosurgery, into brain surgery, I went, <clears throat> and then my wife got pregnant by me. Um, <laughs> since we're clarifying all, yeah. yeah, I mean, she's a, you know, that's her choice. Uh, just because we're married doesn't mean you know she she loses yeah. any of her freedom. She, I want her to choose me daily. Uh, but she's an OBGYN, so right. I looked at her like I <laughs> yeah. thought you were. It's not like the birth control was all in your yeah. house. Yes. <laughs> So I was like, uh-huh. So another, and so she but was- But you're in impulse control, so. There's <laughs> a bit of a, uh, yeah. there's a collaboration there. Yeah, we, we did collaborate for that pregnancy. Yes, we did. Um, but um, that's funny. But when she was 26, I was 27, as you know, in training wow. for this stuff. This is not a good time to have a baby, but we're, so we're gonna go for it. So our uh, family helped, nannies, different cultures, different foods. We just went for a travel. It's, let's not let's not hold back. Let's yeah. not pretend like this is a burden. Yeah. Let's let's yeah, party yeah. like rock stars. We yeah. have little kids now. Yeah. And uh, and um, I had this opportunity. We're supposed to in that seven year neurosurgery training. You're supposed to take a year of uh, research. Uh-huh. Again, I don't know what research means. Yeah. So most people could just research. You know, like if you do this brain surgery, how many infections do you get out of hundred? But San Diego is the highest per capita of neuroscientists. Remember I mentioned SOC yeah. is over there. Yeah. Um, there's like five institutes in this bluff in San Diego overlooking the ocean. And when I went there, um, I was working at Children's Hospital and for epilepsy they would cut out parts of the brain, the temporal lobe, and we set up the arrangement and the parents agreed and there were no patient identifiers. So I was able to bring human brain tissue to the laboratory where they had been working on like mice brains yeah. mouse brains and so that was an advantage for me yeah and I was also older and so during those I took another additional year and I got enough data to get a PhD out of it so I started as an MD in residency and I launched at age 36 with an MD and a PhD yeah. and I was like oh well that, how did that happen but <laughs> and then something again incident uh, accidental happened something I wasn't planning I thought I was gonna be a private practitioner hmm. um, when I interviewed at City of Hope, they said, well, oh, okay, you've got some interesting data right here. It's hot data, it's fresh. Yeah, yeah. It's not, usually when you get an MD and a PhD, you do it in medical school, and then you do your residency or your training, and it's old data. Yeah. So I had hot scientific data, I had new surgical skills. I went to UCSF again mm-hmm. for extra uh, uh, cancer training, and it was weird to come back to San Francisco General and see that now as somebody who's a, a participant not mm. just a spectator. Mm. Um, and I've been at City of Hope for 10 years. I've got a laboratory there. It looks like CSI, that show with the Petri dishes yeah. and the fog yeah. machine. And we're trying to invent medicine. And, and I, take, I do only cancer surgery. And I, I operate on Wednesdays. I see patients on Thursdays. And um, Monday, uh, Sundays are uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Mondays are to myself. That's when I think about science. I'm always thinking about science. I'm always thinking about everything yeah. all the time. It's not a, I shall now work on science, yeah. Yeah. as you know. And, and uh, I've been fortunate enough to take some of those scientific ideas and apply to the U.S. Uh, United States government, the NIH. And yeah. uh, last year, uh, actually six months ago, we got a, a grant for one and a half million dollars to study uh, cancer. Mm-hmm. And just to make the circle all the way back to when I had dropped out, there's two types of brain cancer. There's the ones you hear about uh, Senator McCain in the United States or Ted Kennedy. It's glioma. It's an, it grows from the substance of the brain. It's the brain tissue going bad, if you will, breaking bad. 
but they're more commonly are lung cancers and breast cancers wanting satellite spots and spreading up there. So I study breast cancer spreading to the brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and my mom had breast cancer. Yeah. She's doing fine. And yeah. Back then, I got, I've got her name tattooed on my arm. And it's uh, all of that stuff. And this book, being able to share those stories all the way from San Francisco General yeah. to about a year ago is in this book as well. Yeah. And um, it, it's been deeply satisfying for me to see the traction it's getting here and how Penguin and uh, their team have, um, you know, saw, they saw something in my writing. I never met them in person. Yeah. They saw something in the writing and they set up all of this and, um, you know, they've, they've sort of revealed my soul in a light better than I even could myself because I don't know London. I yeah. don't know UK. Yeah. Yeah. They know you guys and they say, hey, oh, that's interesting. And UK will like this and we're going to put it forward in a, in a wonderful way. Yeah. More than it has happened in the States. In the States yeah. So I am just so grateful. Well, I'm grateful that they, that they picked up on it as well because like I said in the first part of this pod, you do have this natural ability to segue. I mean, you've just been doing it now. You know, we've been talking about your personal experiences and how that you know relates to uh, the kind of research that you're doing right now. Um, and that those years where you're partying or like you know just being yourself, it reminds me of a quote in your book where you you had the pleasure of meeting um, Francis Crick mm-hmm. at one point, right? And he there's something that um, he said to you is uh, scientists need to be more creative. Yeah, he said. Well, we all know this in the lab. Geeks make technicians. Scientists yeah. are creative. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, how dare us try to guess how Mother Nature works? Yeah, yeah. That's not going to be a two plus two is four, and let me uh, do data mining to understand Mother Nature, yeah. right? So, um, but the creativity part. Um, is a is a luxury for me to not only have a career where I can provide for my family, not only have a career that shapes my identity to where I feel good about myself because I you know for the most part I try to help people you know that's my it's never not in my equation when I make decisions going back to Mr. Jet at Compton City yeah. College you'll do well mm-hmm. I hope you do good and the luxury of this, I travel the world and Ukraine and. And, um, you do some work in, in Lima as well, right? Oh yeah, yeah, it's been a, f- a bunch of places. And that started because I wanted to honor what he said. Mm. And that started because I wrote about that shit in my yeah. personal statement applying to medical school. Yeah. And even though that will nobody will ever know about that, I didn't want to li- be a liar to myself. Gotcha. Because I, yeah. I was like, I know my grades suck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even though my standardized scores are sky high and that might seduce you, but if I get in, if I have the luxury of getting, uh, the, the privilege of getting into medical school, I, I will... I will give back. Yeah. And so I, I work at a, in, I work back in LA County. There's an East LA hospital and I speak Spanish. So I have a lot of Latino patients there. And, um, and uh, so all of those things, there was no wasted time. You know, people feel like, especially in academics, oh, yeah. you wasted a year. No, 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 no. This, this is my fabric. Yeah. Yeah. And in many ways, these tangential paths uh, have, um, uh, have really allowed me to surge forward in a life that, for me, was unexpected. I didn't. I'm not. I don't. I didn't expect. <laughs> I was dropped out of university. Yeah, I was just. Yeah. I didn't expect to have this um, nuanced of a life. Mm. The luxury of um, creativity in my life. How am I gonna? 
I'm gonna, how am I gonna sculpt this, this, this heavenly marble? How am I gonna three-dimensionally remove this cancer without disrupting the marble as much as possible? Or how does science work? And the things I daydream about, and then what am I doing in, in your kitchen yeah, talking yeah. about this, and my son is outside <laughs> listen, watching Kevin Hart on it. It's just, this is a, a, I will never forget this. Mm, you know, yeah. This has been a very um, momentous week mm. in my life, you know. And I've, had, you know, I've, I've got some good mileage for 46. Yeah, yeah, I've done exactly. some fun stuff. <laughs> so it's not coming from somebody who doesn't get out and, and yeah. get around. Yeah. Uh, even, even the way you talk in terms of like your mind wandering and you know, the fact that you speak a second language and all these, these are all like concepts that come out in your book. Mm. And it's kind of just, your book is just like a structured way for you to express yourself. And there are benefits to this, right? There are yeah. benefits to, to daydreaming. Uh, there are benefits to um, using your left hand. I, I must admit something. I've actually started using my left hand to text on my yeah. phone. I actually use my phone now. Um, it's something I started a few years ago, but then uh, I rapidly just forgot about it. And then once I read your book again, I was like, okay, now I'm going to do that again because that is actually harnessing those new neural connections, right? Right, absolutely. And just in a more fundamental way, yeah. you don't want to have arthritis just in your right hand, yeah. right? <laughs> you, you want to, you've got a lot of phone mileage to go. I don't plan yeah. on putting my phone away. Yeah. So it's. Uh... Yeah, and arthritis will start in your thumbs as well. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, I, I was talking to somebody. And not knowing these things or sharing these things in an overly simplistic way has maybe made us not see our real potential. Mm. Children, you're this type of personality. You're left brain. It, mm. it, it, it closes us. Yeah. You know, it, um, it puts us in a rut. And, and the key to get out of that rut is inside us, but nobody has explained to us that that is possible. Mm. So in the book, we have... Um, extreme examples to show you what I call your top speed. It's up to you if you want to get out of first yeah. gear. I'm not here to yeah. be preachy and yeah. say, uh, do this. And do, I'm, not, I'm not that guy. Yeah, I just, you don't sound puritanical at all. Yeah, I'm actually told, <laughs> I was talking to somebody the other day, I, I want to be allowed to do things that are dangerous or hurtful to myself. I just don't want to be misinformed about them. If I want to have a cigarette, I just wanted to know and have known from decades past that it was dangerous. Mm -hmm. If you want to play American football, we didn't do our generation a favor by lying to them mm -hmm. that it was just like boxing. Yeah. But we knew, if you go into boxing, everybody knew for the 100 years, well, you get punched drunk and there's dementia pigilist. There are all these words that say you bang your head against the wall or fist too much. It's going to mess up that delicate jellyfish. And so we knew that. And then if you choose it, that's fine. Mm. I, I, I love free will and freedom. Mm. I just don't like misinformation. Mm. So I just want to let people know, for example, on creativity, um, some patients with dementia, when their frontal lobe withers, the CEO, the boss, the things behind our forehead, there, there's two of them. It's a paired brain. It's a left and a right, mm. this bridge. When that wears out, they can have dramatic improvements in their ability to paint. <laughs> What are you talking about, right? <laughs> the, now, I'm not saying get dementia to be, I'm not saying, but that should make people say that, is there, so there's something that was tamped down. Yeah. Then you have these case reports of people being hit with lightning and they can do math. Yeah. And then you have, you know, savants who, you know, might have an intellectual disability. And that's in America, that's how we refer in the most respectful way. Yes. So if it isn't here, I just want to qualify that yeah, for yeah, listeners. Yeah, yeah. That's my most respectful and articulate 
and nuanced way to, to talk about that because I do take care of those patients, they can have certain mathematical abilities released. So they're, if the homeostasis in our brains is tilted and it might be not good for you, but there are hidden talents and latent abilities inside us. That is the premise now. Then we talk about, well, well, I'd like to tap into those on my daily life. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to tap into those if I work for Google or if I'm here in London. And then the book goes into what are the things that people can do. So I, I love the topic of creativity. Mm. I know four people that are wildly creative. Four types of people. Actually, five. Kids. Yeah. Kids are kids, stuff. Kids. Yeah. And guess what? Their frontal lobe is not fully developed. So that, that's quite interesting, isn't it? The fact that your frontal lobe isn't fully developed and this is where you harness those sorts of, um, the, the imagination, right? Mm. The, um, the sort of creativity element. Yeah, you give them a box and they all have a whale of a time. Like I'm, I'm watching mm. my two godsons who are in America at the moment and just the things they come up with and how happy they are and content they are. That's... So let me answer that conundrum. The frontal lobe is not developed and the frontal lobe is also the seat of creativity. Mm. But... It's the part of the frontal lobe, I don't mean anatomically, the capacity of the frontal lobe, I don't mean like corner X, uh-huh. to uh, squash down creativity, to be able to go to school, check your emails, uh, get on the tube and check, right. uh, the checklist part mm-hmm. of the CEO component of our frontal lobes hasn't hit maturation. Mm-hmm. We can also lose that part by getting drunk. Yeah. I'm not saying get drunk, <laughs> but that's what alcohol does, it disinhibits. Mm-hmm. So the inhibition capacity, not location, of the frontal lobe isn't there. So creativity is having its way as a kid. Um, some writers like to drink and, and they feel they write better. Then we're also uh, microdosing. People feel like they're more creative. Again, that disrupts the frontal lobe from saying, I got to check my emails. I got to get home. I got, oh, my God, I got bills. I got to all. And it should do that because... You don't want to be walking around the park only being creative. You have, you know, you have to achieve the goals of the day to to live, to eat. Uh, and then the fourth person that has is wildly creative, or people with dementia again, frontal lobe is now physically injured. And then what I would posit is, so so we know that creativity is it, it, there's greater creativity than we deliver because the homeostasis is tamping it down. Okay, because we've got these examples, but we're all wildly creative in our dreams, and. Um, I love that term you use, by the way, in the book, awesome. where um, we are all darlies of creativity when we sleep. Yeah. It's incredible. Like, we are, though, right? Yeah. Wild stuff. Yeah, it's right? wild Whether stuff. we remember or not. Yeah, yeah. And so then I was writing this chapter on creativity. I just like, you know, I, I, yes, mind wandering is helpful. Yes, getting out, walking around is helpful, being playful. But I just didn't feel like that was nuanced and sophisticated enough for, yeah. for everybody. Yeah. Um, uh, so I do talk about microdosing. I do talk about you know, a patient that has slow growing benign cancer and he lost a TV producer, lost his creativity. So to set the precedent Mm. and then doing just, oh my gosh, just years of like looking up creativity on Google and neuroscience journals and creativity, creativity. I wasn't finding anything fresh. And then I found this thing called, uh, it's the hypnagogic and hypnopompic period. It's the period where just the 15 minutes before you drift into sleep and the 15 minutes when you wake up. And people were saying that that might be like a portal that where you can access your subconscious. And I thought, this sounds, yeah. this sounds over the top, yeah. but there's science behind it. Yeah. Before the science, I actually saw this amazing thing by Salvador Dali, 50 Secrets of Magical Craftsmanship. And he's always talking about using slumber as, his, yeah. as, as the pond from which he finds all yeah. his magic, right? I was like, yeah. this, but look at his stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And then the science. So if, you know, if 
if you're not a child and you you don't you, you know I don't encourage you to drink. I don't encourage you to go backwards in time. Uh, well, some people might want that, but I don't encourage you to have dementia. We've established those precedents, and I don't encourage microdosing. But if you can harness sleep for creativity, uh, here's an interesting thing: there are um, the brain is electric, and if you put a a sticker on the head, you can detect electricity. Mm-hmm. Just like if you put a sticker on the heart, you can detect a heart rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rhythms that that 15 minutes while you're awake and drifting to sleep, you actually have dual overlapping readouts. One is awake and relaxed, that Zen flow state that maybe Tom Brady has when he throws the ball or a ballerina has on that. You're not thinking when you're dancing, yeah. you know, yeah, that's, a, yeah. that's an alpha state. Yeah, yeah. And... But you also have this light, light sleep dreaming wave. And those two waves, don't, there's never any two waves. It's either one or the other. There's four waves total. But there, those windows in, before you fall asleep and right when you wake up, you actually have dual waves oscillating in your brain. And so to me, that was the science behind, yeah, you're, sort of, you're awake, but you're drifting. And we're widely creative when we're dreaming. And this is the concept of hypnagogic and hypnopompic, hypnopompic periods as a way. And on the practical level of what I've done, and I have done for a long time, I like to look at the tumors before I go to bed. Once all the checklist stuff is done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can't be thinking about emails and yeah, fighting. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so then I look at it and I just, just, I just kind of let it float and just, all right, man, and wake up and kind of look at it again. And I take my notes then before I go to bed. I have a notepad. I use my phone for the notes app and I always have different headings. Um, and so that's the best I can do to talk to you about creativity. And I have been digging for years and years to come up with what is real. And uh, it's in the book. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I, I love the way you actually um, utilize the, your sort of own uh, ways in which you tap into creativity. Because um, the way you describe the anatomy at the start of the book is actually very uh, flow. It, it, just, it, it just makes total sense to even a layperson. I go up to a friend of mine and they read it and I'm like, oh yeah, no, I completely understand it now. And it's almost like you've tapped into your own creativity. You s- sort of like put someone in, in, the, in your eyes and you know, you're actually describing all the different courses. And, and that's from the being security guard in, in Berkeley for two years. And that's from all those patients that talked talk to me and taught me how to communicate. Yeah. I learned to communicate for my patients. Um, and th- all of that is... Uh, is released in the book. It's something that I think uh, I actually got my teenage kid reading. It was yeah. just, it was it was the moment. If I could have one billion readers yeah. or one, I would take that one. You know, can you imagine your yeah. teenage kid? And we were flying to Bolivia when it happened, yeah, yeah. where he and I had done coca leaves to deal with altitude yeah, sickness, yeah. and I put that in there. Yeah, no, yeah, you did, yeah. Under smart drugs, and I looked over, and and he was, uh, and he had the book open. I was I was I was glad to see he was right side up. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and then, like you know, fifteen minutes later, he was asleep, and the yeah. book was on the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, just that he thought, "I'm going to try to read Daddy's book." Yeah, I yeah. just, uh, it's been good. Mm, it's been really good. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, you're probably expecting us to just talk about food the whole time, but what? actually, I found some of the most profound bits of the book were uh, about you talking about breathing and yeah. meditation and how. You were trying to debunk the myth that this is all alternative practitioners, and actually, there's tons of evidence looking at, you know, intervention trials where you can change the the volume of the hippocampus, the the volume and the the connections between the amygdala, um, 
that that I found very very interesting. Would you yeah. mind talking about? What I would love to. You tell me when I'm doing too much, no, saying no, no, too no, much, or good. going too long. I just I'm I could. You, I dream about these things. I think yeah. about these things. Like all these, all these. I've been privileged to see so many interesting things. Nobody's ever connected it in a in a deliverable package. So meditation. Uh, I'm not sure I know what meditation means because what happened in Los Angeles it became mindfulness and it became. Then I started seeing these things about the mindfulness of dishwashing. I was like, well, I don't need, I don't need a. And then it's almost like a guilt trip. Like if you're not happy being stuck in traffic, you're not in the present. You're not. <laughs> understanding mindfulness and I, I don't want to be again I don't I'm not trying to diminish people I'm yeah. just telling you what I looked at I was like I can't it's not like everything has to be proven but this book I the things I have in there yeah. even if they look even if they sound wild or they sound like an established principle is being smashed mm-hmm. there is personal stories scientific references but not in a way that it's over or the top yeah. it, there's proof in there mm-hmm. um and so meditation, I don't, I don't know what that is, but I know a few things. I know Buddhist monks can think down their heart rate. I know my cancer patients after surgery sometimes, if they meditate, let's just use the word, but uh, they, can, they need less opiates. I know deep divers, before they go down for like, how long can I hold my breath? They are, they are grabbing the mind-body connection. They're doing something. And it's not chemicals that are being released. So what is that? Um, it's the vagus nerve. I've operated on the vagus nerve. So when a Buddhist monk thinks down his heart rate or her heart rate, I don't know, are there female Buddhist monks? Uh, uh, that's a very good that. point. I'm but when, when somebody meditates should, down there... I should have that up, actually. <laughs> <laughs> when... Uh, when they think down their heart rate, it's going through a nerve that's sprouted from the deep parts of their brain and it comes down to the side of our throat. It's the vagus nerve. We're taught about it. It's by the carotid. You know, it's the three things in that area. Yeah, yeah. It's like, and when you feel for your pulse in your neck, it's in there. Yeah. And it goes around your heart and lungs and even into your guts. That's why when you get nervous, you feel it in your gut. You didn't really feel it in your gut. Your, your brain felt it and the way the ripples came out, it just went down the vagus nerve, which is wrapped around your gut. That's why you get butterflies yeah. in, your tum- in your tummy. So I started to understand that, okay, the brain is sending signals down. That, that's established, right? We can all agree. Can the signals go in reverse? Can the body affect the brain? Can the body calm the brain? There's a thing called vagal nerve stimulator. People can just look it up if they're listening. So you can see like, wait, these are things that have been around for 20 years. Yeah. It's a, little, it's a little coil. It looks like a spring in a pen that, that makes the pen bouncy. And it's to a wire. And we cut, make a little cut and we wrap it around the vagus nerve. And we leave a little generator under the collarbone, much like us, the patients have for heart reasons. And it, and it tickles the vagus nerve with electricity. And it's a treatment for epilepsy. So again, tickling the vagus nerve with, with our little surgical device can calm the electricity of your brain. Okay, So now we've got an example that's been around for a while, that, that the nerve can work in reverse. It's bi-directional, two-way highway. And then what happens is breathing. A long one, two, three breath. We'll hold for one, two, three, and then out, three, two, one. Just a little bit of that. That's been going on for millennia. Has it been duping people for 3,000 years? But that's not enough of a reason for a skeptic. 
some of those patients that have epilepsy and don't have the little coil, we do this bizarre thing. Um, when we can't tell where the epilepsy starts, we can't treat it sometimes. This is when pills fail. Yeah. This is like at the highest level of specialty centers. Pills fail, everything fails, diet fails, everything fails, right? Because diet can tamp down electricity. They, um, we actually open up their skull, scalp, skull, and we lay a little grid, thin grid, like, like 20 stamps connected to each other, little wires coming up. Just plop it right on the surface. So it's not, it's brain surgery, but it's not inside the brain surgery. Um, and the wires come out and they live in the hospital for a week. So you've got all these patients that we're doing it for a clinical purpose, and then in come these grad students, they're 25, they're 35, and they're wild, and they have these ideas, like, can we please, can we please talk to your patient? Because our patients are bored hanging out with a 24-hour readout of their brain electricity, like, from the brain, not a sticker on the skull. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so all these San Diego students, all these, like, oh, this is, they're just like, this is the best. Yeah. And they came in, and they started doing these deep breathing techniques with them, and they recorded the electricity calming down. The electricity going more into that alpha state, the calm but awake state. And that's in a publication. That's not my, my story. That's me putting the whole story together. So before you see your boss, or when I pull in on Wednesdays for my operation, pull in at 7, I just take five minutes and do that, and I go in there. I'm not saying you shouldn't take Xanax, or you should. I'm not going there. I'm just saying you have these abilities that we have not shared with you. It is my fault, it is our fault, that we have not shown you with all the powers you are self-equipped. And so before you, during the day, if you do this a couple of times, and if it works for you, to me that's meditation. And really it's what I call meditative breathing. So that's my whole thing about breath and life. Mm. I really appreciate that actually, because I think a lot of patients are um, told that there isn't much in their locus of control. And I think that, that um, uh, that sort of uh, permission mm, to actually, you know, you know, actually, you can do some things that are going to impact your physiology. They're going to make you healthful. Is really powerful at patients because when you're when you are a patient, and this kind of stems from my experience actually becoming a patient when I was a junior doctor. It's a very embarrassing and vulnerable state, and mm. when you can't figure out. In my case, it was, I've talked about this in the in previous episodes where uh, I had atrial fibrillation and uh, going up at 200 beats per minute. There, there's no reason why I should have had that medical issue. There is no family history. There are no triggers, nothing like that. And yet it was happening to me. So that dysfunction in your body and not being able to understand, particularly as a medic as well, why this is happening, it's very disarming. And when you can actually teach people, okay, you know, we, are, we do have medications, we do have interventions, we have surgery, we have all these different things. Why don't we complement that with a whole arsenal of other safe lifestyle practices that we, that we know can have significant effects on our physiology? It has to be that way. And even if we don't get the pills gone, at least maybe you'll need less. Even if you need to keep the pills, you'll drive your health, not just... I take Fortin substance and it does something magical. You'll be the driver of your care. And when, like my father used to say, <laughs> you go in there like, take this pill, take that pill. And he's like, uh, no, he wouldn't take them. If you can't explain to me what is wrong, what right looks like and how we're going to get there, I'm not going to listen to your suggestions. That's where all these listicles and these quick things on TV and different things, just, every day it's do this, do this, do this. People are fed up with that. Mm. 
There needs to be explanation. There needs to be empowerment. And then what my feeling is, then people will say, I love pills in the right, if I'm, if I have cancer, I, I love that people are trying to make better chemotherapy. I may choose it, I may not. If I have an infection, I love that there's penicillin and thank that guy for finding it on that piece of bread or whatever he did. So in some ways, we've, we've become adversarial. Yeah. I, I'm proud that there are pills that can help, yeah. but people hate pills. But if they become the drivers, they'll see that pills are, are this option for them. There are, uh, they are the pills are their partner if their own changes and their own modifications to their diet, their well-being, their thoughts, their lifestyle. If that's not enough, we can supplement a little bit. If you don't, if you change your diet and your cholesterol doesn't go down as much as you, we need it to, then we'll bring in pill at a lower dose. That way, they respect the we you know people respect what docs do, medics do. And medics respect that people need to be treated as individuals who drive their own care, man. I, I, I totally agree. And, you know, that blending of the science behind both of those disciplines, both lifestyle, diet, um, all the different sort of meditative techniques as well, integrated with uh, pharmaceuticals, with surgical interventions, that's the way. I mean, uh, someone seeing patients um, who sometimes can be quite egregious against pharmaceuticals, and mm-hmm. I'm a conventionally trained doctor. Yes, I believe in lifestyle and the power of food and everything else, but at the same time, I, di- I dish out antibiotics every time I'm working in an A&E. I dish out a whole bunch of different pills whenever I'm in general practice, but I complement that with all the rest of it as well. And you, I think you, you hit the nail on the head, an informed patient appreciates what you're doing for them and will therefore appreciate the science and the nuance behind all the different uh, treatment uh, modalities that we have. We have this ridiculous word called compliance. Yeah. Like compliance is when you send me that uh, ridiculous uh, training module I have to do more and more all the time. I mean, that's corporate <laughs> compliance, right? Yeah, like, well, uh, click, 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 and so, you know, I try to get my wife and kids to do some of them. I hope that doesn't make its way back. But the compliance thing is patient compliance with medication. How do we turn them into, like, 66%? Com- no. <laughs> if, if they're not taking the pills, it's because you, not you, I mean, we did not impart upon them why and yeah. how. Your blessed restaurants have take this. When nobody explained to them, listen, um, these arteries you have, if you keep pumping this hard to get the blood to run through these arteries because they're all choked down, your heart is going to wear out. Pumping against high blood pressure what is high blood pressure? Oh, my blood pressure is high. What does that mean? It means it's like blowing through a narrower straw. You're going to exhaust your heart. Does it, do you want to exhaust your heart? And then it can actually get, the heart gets bigger. And in this case, a big heart is not good. You get hypertrophic cardio stuff, things you, you would know better. So they have to understand. And then that also liberates them if they don't take their blood pressure medicine for the weekend. It's not like, oh, I, I, you know, then you have patients on the other side who are become imprisoned by the pills. But if you understand this is a glacial thing, you don't want to run your blood pressure this high over the next few years. You're going to wear out your heart. So let's start the process of making it easy. Let's, be, let's, let's befriend your heart a little bit. Why don't you give up the salt a little bit? Why don't you do these things a little bit? We'll check in a little while. If your modifications can bring down your blood pressure, we're in a good spot. We don't, we're not going to take pills. Absolutely. And then if it isn't, then we'll try a little baby pill. But there's no education and information in that way. And because we don't communicate well, we have to be so smart to get into medical school 
that I actually made this suggestion at medical school that I think they were trying to kick me out. I said everybody should have to work at Taco Bell or Starbucks or Subway yeah. for at least one month to know how to talk to people because yeah. you know you're just studying all the time. Is that competitive? Yeah. Yeah. That there's no learning of communication of taking complex things, not dumbing them down, but taking the essence. And each patient is different. The CEO might need a different explanation. The person who I only speak Spanish to, I might use different words. But achieving that effect in the patient. That's real compliance. So whenever I see a patient isn't compliant with something, I think it's my fault. Yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. Because like, you know, the number of patients that I've seen with type 2 diabetes, it's just become another condition that you can take a pill for now. And the gravity of the condition, not to scare patients, but just to make them understand that there are ways around it without medications and it's a stepwise process if we rely on pharmaceuticals alone and we don't do anything else it is just a time before that becomes two becomes three becomes insulin becomes all the other micro and macrovascular complications one of which is dementia um, which you talk about in the book as well you mess with the blood vessels in your body those are the same ones going to your your brain and that flesh needs to be irrigated as much as the rest of your body does and in fact it's quite brittle you don't irrigate it right for three or four minutes It'll die on you, but the kidney I can take out and put in another person and put it in an ice cooler. It's extremely important to have cardiovascular health for your brain. But back to diabetes, um, I you know, somebody explained it to me. Well, I can't remember who it was. He said, "Well, it, uh, I was the patient educated me. I was trying to explain to him." And he says, "Oh, it's like it's like putting diesel in my car when it is unleaded." I said, "Exactly." None of us put the, we go to the gas, there's 100% compliance of putting the right fuel in our cars, but we can't explain to people like, hey, having that much sugar flowing around your blood vessels is tearing them up on the inside. And when you tear them up, they clog, they wither, and we got to cut off your legs sometime, and you block off the flow to your heart and your brain. You don't want that. You're putting the, diabetes is corrosive because people say, oh, high blood sugar, but that by itself doesn't explain it. High blood sugar is corrosive huh, to your plumbing. And, he said, and I had that conversation with him. He was, I was like, I like that. I'm going to use that. And I remember telling him, if I ever use it, I'm going to tell. I can't remember the patient's name. I'm going to footnote that I learned that from, from my patient. Yeah. yeah, there's so much that I learned from my patients in terms of the vernacular that I should be using, yeah. the way I should be describing things to patients. And particularly when it comes to food, you know, uh, instead of me being prescriptive about, okay, you eat this for your brain and you eat this for your skin, mm. you eat this for your immune system, you eat, you eat it for your body and your body has this mm-hmm. ability to look after itself. So, you know, looking at sugar, for mm. example, sugar isn't just about diabetes, type 2 diabetes that we're talking about. It's about brain health. It's about your um, immune health as well and, and different types of fibers and how that impacts your gut microbiota. Um, you know, getting into this way of describing things as individual silos is actually quite damaging to the uh, the, the real understanding of how our bodies work. Yeah, I totally agree. And now, what I say, so if people think, well, you're against a monumental challenge, I would say we were in the 1900s with infection. We were in with polio. We were with AIDS. Now, AIDS. Uh, for people who can get the medicine, they can they can live 20, 30 years. So we've made these dents. I'm working on cancer. I think your mission, clearly, from what you've written, uh, which is great for me because I don't get the liberty to talk like this with my, my surgical colleagues. Yeah, we don't really talk yeah. like this, but yeah. I believe this. And 
because I have kids and yeah, absolutely. So you're you're also liberating me to talk about things in this way, then not oh, just glad. in a technical way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. But it, it, so the change that we are trying to create now, we may not see for a decade, mm. but we definitely won't see in a decade if we don't try now. And that's why I always give that talk about. Well, I, I you know my patient again. A patient said that to me. You know the patients when they're when they're dying of cancer, they want to not only take medicines that are on the on the brink of being released to the general population because they have shown promise and current medic medications aren't enough in, in each of those scenarios, let's say, for those individual patients. They want to participate in the development of medicine and science. They are well aware it's not for them only. And they're well aware that half of them are getting a placebo, that they're probably not even getting the active ingredient. And they're passionately dedicated to clinical trials for the generation ahead. Yeah. So what you're doing, and what I'm seeing here in London in New Light, um, is that the message, the podcast, the content, everything is so 10, 15 years from now, you see some kids running around and they, they believe these things, these foods are good for them. And it, they take it for granted, this knowledge, because it's just, it's inculcated inside them because of the shifts and changes you're trying to make now. Yeah. So I think it is very powerful. And, the, and you know, when I was younger, I was sort of put super specialist above everything. Yeah. And now that I'm less, you know, getting in my 40s, 46 years old, I'm seeing that maybe I do a lot with each patient, but these, these global health, these well-being messages will change countries, will change generations and nations. Uh, and it's very important uh, that somebody is doing that. So I just really enjoy talking to you about these kind of things. And that was my conversation with Dr. Rahul. You can find him at drjanyo.com. And if I could give you three challenges on the back of this podcast to do, it's for one week, try using your non-dominant hand when using your iPhone or brushing your teeth. It really is tricky at the start of it. The more you do it, the more dexterity you actually get in that left hand. And maybe it has some benefits cognitively as well. Try meditation this week. Try and do at least 10 minutes twice a day. Book it in for seven days, whatever you're doing. It may have some benefits to the cortices of your brain. It may have some benefits to your working memory as well and emotional intelligence. It really is something that I found personally incredible to use on a daily basis and I try and do it as much as possible, particularly before doing a shift in A&E. And the third thing is look at your diet and look out for the mind diet. It's something I talked about in my last book, Eat to Be Illness. The mind diet is essentially a modified Mediterranean diet where the focus is on vegetables, colors, but particularly greens. You can find lots of different types of greens in the UK and abroad. Swiss chard, broccoli, rocket, dandelion greens, and berries as well, black currants, blueberries, raspberries, all absolutely fantastic and packed full of brain benefiting compounds. His book, Life Lessons from a Brain Surgeon, 
is out now in all good bookstores. I highly recommend you pick up a copy. His storytelling, if that alone, is worth the purchase and I really, really did enjoy reading the book. Subscribe to the website where I give you weekly recipes, content and much more to help you live the healthiest and happiest life. Give us a five-star rating if you like this podcast. It really does help spread the love and the message. Tweet us at The Doctor's Kitchen. Instagram is doctors underscore kitchen as are all the other handles and YouTube as well for the recipe attached to this podcast. I'll catch you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.